0: and welcome to episode number 327 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jeremy Green. Hey, everybody. And Eric Diedrich. Hi, everyone. And I'm Reuven Lerner. And this week, we have a special guest, Steve Pomerantz. Hey, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys.
1: Thanks for having me. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io.
0: So, um, Steve, why why don't you tell us about yourself and then we can reveal the reason you are on the show and why people will want to listen to you and to us.
2: Sure. So, myself and the reason are a little intertwined. So, I'll try and be somewhat vague. Um, (laughs) So, I, you know, after escaping a career in in management consulting and film finance, I knew I wanted to build companies. I started. I went. I sort of did a poor man's business school thing, um, and consulted freelance for a bunch of startup clients to sort to learn the ropes. Um, While I was doing that, I got stiffed a few times. Um, went looking for any good resource to help me figure out, you know, how to get paid. What's a collection agency? What kind of lawyer do I need? Should I be looking for those things? And there's no Yelp for that. There's no good structure. There's no good structured site to find anything um, related to it. And if you Google, you know, how do I get paid? I'm a freelancer. There's not much that comes up. You find some collection agency websites that look like uh, a lawyer's website from 2003, um, and you have no idea how to figure out who's good. So maybe I'll stop there. And I built something for that.
0: (laughs) So right. So so you basically and is is it just you or do you have people working for you as well? It's just it's just me. This was a,
2: a side project for about four years, and about eight months ago, I made it my full-time thing.
0: And does it have a, a brand name or something, or is it just like, call Steve the collections guy?
2: Great question. It's Freelance Collection. So freelancecollection.com
0: is the site. So let's start off with someone has done a project, and they've billed for it, and they've not been paid. Um, we all know like those people are not alone. This happens a lot.
3: You yep. um, been there, done that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think all of us, uh, have, have felt that like, and I remember when I first started my business, my, my first accountant even said to me, if I like had all the money people had owed me over the years while I was making a mistake with my business, boy, oh boy, would I be wealthy now? <laughs> so like, this is like a uh, growing pains for everyone, but what, I mean, aside from calling you, what's like the first thing that people should do when this happens? Like, should they immediately call their lawyer? Should they call the phone and yell? Should they be nice? Like, what yeah. are some good strategies for dealing with this?
2: So the fir- the very first thing you should do is know that know that you're not alone. Like you said, a lot of people get stiffed. Most people get stiffed. So the statistic is over seventy percent of freelancers in the U.S. have dealt with non-payment at one point or another in their career, um, to the tune of over it's over five or six thousand dollars on average. Um, So you're not alone and you want to check in with yourself and just steady yourself because what you don't want to do is start to start to be emotional and flame your client either on social media or to their face um, and ruin what could be a relationship worth pursuing or back yourself into a corner for the options that you'll have down the road. So it's and and really you want to pay attention to your mental health and not mental health, but your your well-being through this whole thing because it really can drain on you this is one of the most one of the most excruciating parts of being a freelancer um so before you do anything you kind of just need to check in with yourself um once you've done that there are a couple different there there are a few different phases of trying to get paid um first you want to you want to do the gentle touch. You want to just kind of be persistent. Let your client know they owe you money um, if they don't already. And maybe be a little more persistent uh, than, than your nature would tell you to be. Um, so, you know, get on the phone. The phone is a great tool. Um, and and you'd be amazed how often people come to me and I'm like, well, did you call your client and they're like, no, I just, we we communicate by Skype or by text or by email. So you want to make sure you, you know, put the pressure on and keep it on. So if your client, you know, if your client goes 10 days over, um, don't, don't go nuts yet. You know, check in with them, um, do it on a regular basis. Maybe not every day at first, but certainly every week, maybe every three days, something like that. I often I resort to a lot of um, trite sayings, and one of them is, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You want to be the squeaky wheel so your client just gets tired of you annoying them for payment and pays you. A lot of the time, that's enough. Once you get to the point where you realize your client is going to keep dodging you, or maybe they don't have the money to pay, they, they give you excuses why they can't pay um there are all kinds of different situations maybe it's like you're a subcontractor and their client's not paying maybe maybe they're not happy with your work and they don't want to pay you once you get to one of those points where okay they're not going to they're not going to cooperate then you have a decision to make you can go three ways you can give up on it which sometimes is the right call both for your own sanity and your time maybe it's not worth your time to track uh, to to chase it down two you can go the do it yourself route which means send a demand letter and then go to small claims court, um, if necessary. And three is to hire professionals, which include collection agencies and law firms. Um, Yeah.
4: So among those three, like, what are some heuristics, I guess, like, I'm kind of intrigued um, with those three options, like, what, how do you decide which one of them to pursue?
2: Right. So if you, you know, obviously, you want to keep as much of as much of your money as you can. Right. So bringing in a professional means you're going to have to pay somebody else um, to deal with it. So the do-it-yourself route is better on on that metric. The downside to small claims court is, A, you can only use it if you're local to your client. Um, and if the amount you're owed is under the limit for small claims court, which varies from 2,500 to over 10,000, around 10,000 might be different in a few isolated states, but um, in the U.S., it's kind of 5 to 10,000 is the range for small claims. But then you have to also take into account what your time's worth, what your energy is worth. That's part of the calculus, and then. If you decide, all right, I'm not going to go the small, claims ca- uh, the small claims route, I'm going to bring in a lawyer or a collection agency, then it's kind of a question of how much am I owed? Because if you're owed hundreds of thousands of dollars, you probably want to just go straight to a lawyer. If you're owed in the $10,000, $20,000 range or, or even more, collection agency probably is going to be a good first step for you because they're not going to charge you up front they are going to take a cut of what they recover for you, whereas with a lawyer, when they bring a lawsuit for you, they're, most collection lawyers will, char- will work on a contingency fee, but they're going to require you to put some money into an account to fund um, filing in court and serving papers to your client, um, and you, know, you don't want to throw good money after bad, so better to let a collection agency take a crack at it, usually. I mean, sometimes you're just dealing with a client that you know is not going to respond to a collection agency because a collection agency, what they do, they get your client on the phone, they see if they'll play ball, they start they start very nice. They're like, "Hey, we know we had an issue with with getting your uh, with getting your your consultant paid. We want to clean we want to clean that up. Um, how can we work together to make that happen?" And, you know, they'll, they're expert negotiators. They know the right buttons to push. But sometimes, you know, there aren't buttons that you can push. Somebody <laughs> will just say, you're going to have to sue me. And when that happens, you escalate it to legal
0: collections. Hmm. How often does that happen in your experience? Does the you're
2: going to have to sue me line come out?
0: Yeah. Or something. Um, along, or, or that being just so, uh, um, you know, th- th- them not responding that after however many dozens of calls and trying to negotiate, uh, they're just not willing to to do anything.
2: There are so many different flavors to this. I'm trying to figure out how to answer your question. If you looked at it across my whole, you know, across all the cases we handle, it's probably about a quarter of them are just an obstinate client that is not going to cooperate, and maybe another quarter are just dead broke, and you know, another another trite aphorism: you you can't get water from a stone. So you know if there's no money there there's no money there and it's no longer worth pursuing the other 50% usually there's some some negotiation that can occur
0: yeah, I mean, I had something uh, just about, I guess, a year and a half ago. Well, two years ago, I did some work for a client where this American company was looking to buy an Israeli company. And I came in, and I did like one of my most fantastic value-based pricing things ever. I charged them like a ton of money to come in and take a look. And they paid me and everyone was happy. And then they asked me to come in and just like, you know, help the programmers at this recently acquired company to do some Git get stuff with a version control. And I came in, and I helped them out. And I said, okay, I want to be paid. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll pay you. And then it got lost in my shuffle, got lost in their yep. shuffle. And a few months later, uh, when I checked it with them about it, oh, well, I don't know. Fast forward to literally last month, and I spoke to the investor. He said, boy, did we lose our shirts in that acquisition? You might be able to get something. But, like, we sold the company. And now, thankfully, thankfully, it really wasn't that much time. But already what you're saying about follow-up, persistent, and, and don't let it drag out so long, I, I, I could have at least uh, um you know reduce my agitation level by knowing what was going on if i'd pursued it way way earlier yeah being proactive
2: is so important <laughs> time is so important in the collections world um the the kind of rule of thumb is every month you let an account receivable go overdue it loses 15% of its value so wow yeah um after you know after uh, 2 months you're going to requ- recover about over 80% um 6 months it goes down to around 50% after a year you're at like 23%
3: and and one thing that's worth mentioning here is you know if you are in an ongoing relationship with this client where they are expecting additional work stopping work until you get paid is a really good lever and a good way to protect yourself so that you don't end up even further in the hole yeah, if someone hasn't paid you,
0: don't keep working for them. Yeah, even if like, and I definitely had this a few times. They're like, "Oh, but we'll just finish this thing, and then it'll be great, and we'll have money, and we'll pay you." And it's like, uh, I don't think so.
3: Yeah.
0: How how often have your clients actually then gone to court? Like of that, and I realize this is a very very rough number, but like of that, roughly twenty five percent of the people you've dealt with, where either the client says, "Go ahead and sue me," or effectively says that by not responding. How often are those lawsuits actually successful? And how often do, are they successful fast enough that it makes a difference? So
2: it's very rare that we'll even pursue a lawsuit when somebody says, sue me. Reason being, our process at that point is we send it to a lawyer. The lawyer will evaluate it and say, all right, this is worth pursuing or it's not. A lot of them aren't worth pursuing because. The, either they don't think the, the debtor is going to have the money to pay, or they'll do a background check on the debtor and see that they're a professional deadbeat and they owe a ton of people money and have many liens against them. So if you get a verdict against them, that's a piece of paper that says they owe you money. You then still have to get them to pay you the money. So it's, it's pretty rare that we end up going through the whole chain. I mean, we do, we do sue, but that's a decision that, once the collection is unsuccessful, we then talk to the lawyer, go back to our client, make sure everyone's on board, and and it's a subset of those that we actually that we actually run through the whole procedure.
4: So it sounds like almost invariably prevention is the best medicine here.
2: Absolutely, probably
4: invariably. So, like, uh, I'm curious as I listen to this: are there certain profiles of company that are more risky than others, or are there certain like heuristics that you would? Advise people listening to to look for in a prospective client uh, when it comes to this sort of thing?
2: Oh yeah. Um, there are a ton of red flags that a lot of them are common sense, like you know, live by the Google rule, Google your clients before you do work for them. If they don't have an online presence, find out why. if there's if they if there's nothing about them, ask them for references and tell them, you know, hey, I'm trying to find anything about you online. Um, don't see anything. Is there someone that you've worked with before who I could talk to? If they can't give you a straight answer to questions, that's a red flag. And I'm sure there are a lot of best practices that you guys have talked about on the show a lot, but you know if they don't want to pay you anything up front, that's a big red flag if they resist that when you ask. Um, and that obviously should be should be standard operating procedure. Um, same with you know, have a contract. If they don't want to sign a contract, that actually was, you know, I told you I got stiffed a couple times. That was, one of my stories that got me into this business um i was doing some work for for this i won't go into too many i I won't say any personally identifiable identifiable information but i you know was going to do some work for this guy and i said all right we'll send me the contract and we'll get going and he says no i don't i don't like to use contracts so i get a call from him this is a really important guy i'm like 25 at the time and so i'm pretty scared of this dude and he calls me, he's like, hey, Steve Pomerantz, you trying to pull a job on me? So it was, yeah, I should have known at that point, I should have run. But I wound up working for him for uh, for six months. And the last of the six months I didn't get paid for.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. And in, in your red flags, like I'm reminded of uh, at least one project I worked on. And, and there, he didn't have an online presence. Like, that's a really good point. Like, find out what people look like. He didn't have one. I thought, okay, he's a little weird, but fine. But he was recommended to me by, like, uh, the husband of, uh, not such a close friend, but, like, someone I knew and someone I trusted. Like, I figured it was good. And then the guy did pay me in cash at first. And I was like, okay, this is super, super That's strange. <laughs> like, yeah. very sketchy. And then when it came time to get paid for, like, the final thing, he, you know, didn't answer my phone calls and didn't pay and so forth. And when I turned to this, like, friend of mine and said, hey, like, what's the, oh, by the way, it was the friend's brother-in-law. Um, so this friend of mine says, yeah, actually, um, we're not really talking to him anymore because he's stiffed a whole bunch of other people in the family now, too. Yep. So I felt better that I wasn't the only one taken in by this con man but um, a little more reference checking, a little more, or at least like checking around and sniffing around this guy beforehand would have been worth a ton of money and just, again, agitation. Like, I, I know at this point, I've been doing this long enough, like I will get more work and it's never that much money, or at least in these cases it wasn't. But boy, oh boy, I felt stupid. I felt used. And I just, like, it was really depressing for at least a few days afterwards.
2: Yep. That's yeah. a non-insignificant portion of our Customers have similar stories of how this client came to them. It was, you know, a friend. A friend, they thought they should trust them, um, and there's there's some sort of cognitive dissonance that goes on there, where you where you just decide to decide to overlook what you normally know is the right way to do business, yeah. and it bites a lot of people.
4: What about yeah. like it, the size of the company? Like, um, do you find that you're looking to try to get money out of enterprises or well-established companies very often, or like, you know, I would think, but I could be wrong, that it's maybe more, you've got sort of like bootstrapped individuals or maybe startups that run out of money or something. Like in terms of the size and and seniority, I guess, what's the term, like establishment level, uh, how does that breakdown look?
2: Yeah, so definitely more individual operators, Startups trying to get going, but there are also a lot of enterprise customers. But the types of cases that we get with the enterprise customers are different. With the enterprise customers, it's usually just, you know, organizational inefficiency like, oh, I can't get the accounts payable department to, to do their job, or the person you're dealing with leaves the company and then you're left hanging because you no longer have an advocate to getting paid. But yeah, certainly when it's a startup, a very fair question is, how much money do you have in the bank or what's your runway? They shouldn't be, you know, maybe they don't want to tell you how much they have in the bank, but if they don't want to tell you what their financial runway is um, and, you know, look up who their investors are if they're, if they're a funded startup. If they're a non-funded startup, be very suspicious and maybe even make it your policy to um, get paid up front or have them put the money in escrow.
4: Makes
0: sense. Yeah. Like We talk quite a bit on the show about the possibility of getting paid up front. Based on your experience, like I'm, I'm guessing this is a, a very good policy to aim for because it just solves this problem completely, yeah? Yes. Yeah, 0%
2: of the people who come to me got paid up front. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, so kind of related to the point about people who don't want to sign a contract, uh, I have had bad experiences with people who ended up, in hindsight, trying to do funny stuff with the contract that I didn't recognize as such at the time. Um, And this usually takes the form of, well, what, what happened to me was they had basically written the contract to the best case scenario, where, you know, it was a development project and they had said, here's the current state of the code. And, you know, we've got these features that are mostly developed, but our developer left and we just need them finished uh and they resisted paying for a code review they said no we're not going to pay for a code review because that doesn't deliver any value right just just trust us that this is the state of the code and we need to get it from here to there and you know once you do that everything's going to be fine and i had made it very clear that you know okay if it's not as you say then i can't complete it for the amount that we've agreed to in the contract and we're going to have to renegotiate a new contract and they said okay yeah yeah sure that's that's fine but that stipulation wasn't in the contract. And so then once we signed the contract and it was done, they their position became, well, no, you signed this contract saying that you were going to finish this project and get it to this end state. And it, like those features had not even been started. There were There weren't even placeholders for these features that they had told me very explicitly had been started and were mostly working and I, I I just ended up giving that client a refund and walking away and saying yeah. you know i I want nothing to do with this, but in hindsight I should have I should have realized that hey they're they're basically trying to agree to things that aren't in the contract and asking me to take their word on these things, and that's not a good way to do business.
2: It is definitely not. You should absolutely have your contracts be as complete as possible. You're never going to think of every scenario, but you really should. You know, scoping a project well is so important, as you guys know, as anybody who sold sold projects knows, because they never go exactly the way you think they're going to go. But then the other thing that's interesting about your case is, you know, did your client, the what they represented to you that wasn't accurate about, about where things stood, did they put any of that in writing, or was it all just over the phone?
3: All just over the phone. huh
2: okay. Well, so technically a verbal contract is a contract but really hard to enforce not that yeah. you would ever you know in this scenario go down the path of enforcing it and suing this kind of client you did the right thing on a tangential point a lot of the cases a lot of the cases we see there's no formal contract but there is an email exchange or even a text exchange that's a contract and most people don't realize that so we see a lot of clients mm-hmm. trying to trying to say sorry, we never had a contract. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pay you. And a lot of the time, those people just need a kick in the butt from
0: someone on the phone who seems like a voice of authority. So let's say someone stiffed me and I want to get my money back. Um, there's obviously the the time advantage of having someone else do it for me, like someone calling someone like you. What are what are the other advantages? Like what what's your value proposition to someone who's been stiffed?
2: Yeah, so... First, you don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight, right? So especially if the person on the other end has lawyered up and they're like, oh, talk to my lawyer, you want someone who knows how to play that game. But what we do is, you know, we're not a collection agency ourselves. We have a network of collection agencies and lawyers that we've vetted over time. So one of the really important things about using either a lawyer or a collection agency is there is a wide variety, a wide spectrum of how good they are. You know, there are a lot of collection agencies out there who will quote you a lower rate or will, or maybe not, maybe they'll charge as much as the other guys, but you'll have no way of figuring out if they're going to do their job. So earlier on in this business, I dealt with some collection agencies that would take the case, they would call up the, cl- the, the client once. And if the client didn't want to play ball, they'd walk away and they'd be like, all right, well, we tried you want someone who's going to be a bulldog but you want someone who's also ethical about it and is you know bonded insured all the things that they you know have all the all the proper licenses that they need to have as a, as a freelancer developer you're not going to know the right questions to ask you're not going to be able to vet people well enough so that's part of part of the value proposition we had. And then the other part is just, you know, like you said, we let you get back to doing the work that you want to do. So we manage the whole thing for you. We don't require you to speak debt collector. We translate that. <laughs> so we talk to you the way, you know, the way we're communicating now. Um, and don't throw a lot of jargon at you um, and just make it as, as pleasant as possible, even though it's a pretty unpleasant thing.
4: So do you offer anything that's preventative, I guess, um, or is it all remediation?
2: Yeah, so the service that, that we provide is, you've already got this problem. There are a lot, of, a lot of other companies out there that do the things we've talked about. So escrow services, contracts, ways to vet your client. Um, when I started this business, I went looking on, you know, if you if you go and go on Reddit or Quora and look at chains that that are related to non-payment, people are looking for, okay, I got stiffed, what do I do now? But the advice that everyone gives them is, well, you should have done this before. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so I I didn't yeah. want to do the Monday morning quarterback business. There's a place for that, and you should absolutely avail yourself of those resources but i wanted to do this niche that nobody was nobody was covering and that you know i it was important to me cuz i was in this position and it
3: it sucks so one common pattern i've seen of people getting stiffed is when a freelancer is doing subcontract work or yep. even sub subcontract work in those cases do you have advice for how and when or if to go around that man in the middle and talk to the original subcontractor or even the original client in order to try to put pressure on that guy in the middle that is kind of screwing people over?
2: Yeah, and the same advice I'm about to give also applies to situations with big corporate clients where where there's um, not Mm -hmm. good communication. The advice is give your direct client the heads up, the opportunity to make it right um and if they don't you've given them fair warning go above them go to their boss go to their investor go to their their client go to whoever you need to
3: so um, you make it clear to them that you are intending to go around them if they don't handle it themselves
2: yeah and you know with with every communication you have with your client around non payment always start as as sweet as possible and and get you know, level up from there as you need to. So start by saying, "Hey, I really want to get this squared away. I know you're waiting for payment from your client, but you know, when you hired me to, as your subcontractor, we didn't say it was gonna say my payment was gonna be contingent on you being paid. I didn't price in that risk. Um, and you know, uh, start with start with being very nice and giving them good reasoning." And if they resist it, say, all right, well, look, I need to do what's right for me. I got to pay my bills. Um, so I'm going to go above, above your head. And if that doesn't work, then I might reach out to to freelance collection or to, you know, collection professionals. Mm-hmm.
4: So I'm curious, do you, you know, for anybody out there listening who has written something off or, or is suffering through this, do you have any, like, particularly interesting horror stories that might make them feel a little better about their
2: situation. (laughs) I have horror stories. I don't know if my horror stories are going to make you feel better about your situation, but I can at least tell you that, that you're in, you're in plenty of company. I've seen so many, I mean, just the gall of so many people that, you know, in, in normal life, you just don't encounter people who just have no shame, but in my business I see them all the time. So, um, we get cases in where there are high-profile people who are known for being really nice, magnanimous people who we find out are serial deadbeats, people who who project on social media like. The, their whole luxury lifestyle their brands are even about luxury and they go on and stiff stiff all their contractors there's some fun stories especially when it comes to to tracking down uh deadbeats when when they're not paying so when you sue somebody you got to serve them with uh, the service of process and so these service agents um we'll find really creative ways to track people down there's an amazing video on youtube with the rapper tyga where he was he owed some money a collection agency we work with needed to track him down and and serve him papers so they had the service agent show up at a shoe signing where he was signing shoes the guy buys a couple boxes of shoes and he's waiting in line he gets the shoes signed he he peels off the top sheet um, and and serves the guy all on camera. TMZ. You can find this on TMZ. <laughs> um, and and then he poses for a picture, with, like like throwing a sign with with the guy. Um, it's pretty amazing. If you just Google Tygo uh, Tyga debt collector or something like that, you'll find it. That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> I mean, so I'm, I'm in Israel, and I work with companies all over the world, and. I know, like that, that, adds an extra element of risk for things. Um, you know, if it ever goes to court, right? There's always a question of, well, which jurisdictions are going to be in. And my U.S. clients are never interested in having an Israeli jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, and and you know, vice versa, I'm not about to fly to somewhere. And quite frankly, like, don't tell my clients, but the odds of my actually suing them are pretty low anyway, for the reasons you specified earlier. Yeah. But are there any additional sorts of red flags and or things you can check when dealing internationally? So
2: our business is focused on customers in the U.S., but we have a lot of international clients. You know, one thing we see all the time is the U.S. customer, and this is really scummy, U.S. customer will say, well, you're not here. I know you're not going to chase me down. So, you know, that's not really an answer to your question. There's not, there's not a, something you can do to prevent that. Fortunately for you, your answer can be actually I can pursue this through collection agencies or lawyers. I still have standing to sue you in the United States. We focus on cl- customers in the U.S. because the laws outside vary so much. Um, there are other, you know, in, in Israel and in a lot of the developed world, there are other resources for it. To be honest, I don't know that, that world as well. Um, but what I will tell you is, in your contracts there are a few important things that you want to try and have and i'm not a lawyer so you shouldn't take any of this as legal advice but um you know consult your lawyer all that but you alluded to the first one venue so if you need to sue it's always good to be able to do it on your home turf um so you know there's a place in every contract that says disputes will be will be adjudicated in such and such a an area and you'd rather that be where you live if at all possible you want to you want to be able to shift if you have costs associated with collecting the money from your client using a debt collection agency or a lawyer you want your client to have to cover those costs and and this a lot of clients won't do but you should at least try to get a personal guarantee which means if you're doing work for their business especially in the case of like a solopreneur client who's got you know a little startup company If they fail to pay to pay you, you want to be able to go after the client personally. It's not something that that comes up often, but it's a really good cudgel to be able to wield when you need it.
0: Absolutely, because like you know, if the company goes bankrupt or doesn't want to pay you, you're sort of you're 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 out of luck. Um, This is, of course, the whole reason people have corporations, so there's a distinction between themselves. But you've seen people willing, be willing to companies be willing to sign that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah especially when when it's a startup or or it's a a small operator who you know they just want to get this project done and a lot of the time we'll see companies hiding behind that corporate veil a, a lot and there are even a lot of a lot of people we wind up dealing with who have a bunch of different corporations that we find once we start looking into it for this purpose so you'll see people who've had you know two dozen corporations that they open and closed for this reason.
0: Wow. When you collect, how often is it 100% of the owed, owed value? Or how, how much should people expect to get if they have to go through this sort of process?
2: So we have people pre-authorize us to settle for 80% and up. Um, and we also have them pre-authorize us to do payment plans um, that could be as long as 12 months. Um, a good portion of them settle for the full amount. Um, often those are the cases where they just need an adult in the room and need to hear it from somebody who sounds like, oh, wait, I'm not just dealing with, you know, with Reuven on his, on his own anymore. And, and in those cases, we will get them paid hundred percent. And then sometimes you, you come to some court of, some sort of agreement. A lot of the time you wind up waiving the interest and that's the carrot you dangle. Um, so you usually shouldn't, shouldn't expect to get the interest you're owed, And collection agencies, well, this is too much in the weeds, but collection agencies will want more of the interest they recover for their extra work on it. It's a weird system, but that's sort of the industry standard there.
3: So you're talking about interest uh, reminds me that I've seen a technique some people have tried to use, uh, which is basically just saying, you know, attaching late late payment fees and kind of letting those be known upfront, and sometimes making them. Ridiculously large with the hopes that that's just going to scare people into paying. Uh, Have you found that those work or are they just kind of silly distractions that?
2: They're usually silly distractions. You want to have language in there that there's a late fee, but you know, one and a half percent per month or something like that. Um, Once it gets above that, it, it sort of just becomes this thing that the client is like, all right, well, I'm never going to pay that anyway. And if you're lucky enough to get them to settle, the first thing they're going to say is, I'm not paying that late fee. But you want to you have the late fee there as a concession you can give. But you know, don't gotcha. do it with the, with the intent of collecting the late fee.
4: Yeah. You know, for what it's worth in the past, I've dabbled a little bit in and actually had some kind of success. If you have a client that's like serially a little bit late, like not anything like this, where they're a, you know, bad actor, non-payer, what you can do is generate an invoice with a late fee and then they'll ask about it and you say, oh, well that, you know, our system just does that. Sorry, I forgot to remove it. <laughs> Often that like kind of just jars them into paying it and they say, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I have no problem with that. I think that's actually a good strategy. I just, as far as what we do, I haven't seen it be useful, but my view is not as broad as yours on the freelance development game. So that makes sense to me.
4: Yeah, for what it's worth, personally been pretty fortunate. Any instance I've ever had of non-payment was very minor. So I'm trying to channel what I imagine other people's questions are, <laughs> and, uh, you know, keep knocking on wood about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I. you know, you're... So you're one of the lucky ones, but mm-hmm. a lot of people, the, the time they deal with us is the only time they're going to deal with this because it's, they're learning the hard lesson and they're paying for it. So you're lucky you didn't have to pay as much as some other people for the hard lesson.
4: I've, I've had pretty late clients. Like I remember some pretty large outstanding bills that went on for three, four months, but I never butted up against that wall of either silence or no, I'm not paying you. So that's gotta be pretty rough.
0: I do a lot of work with uh, with big companies, like Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500 companies. And I found one of the nice things about working with them is that the payment is super, super smooth. Yeah. Uh, their purchase orders and everything. A- am I wrong in thinking that this is generally the case? These are public companies and well-oiled machines, or do they often stiff people, too?
2: No, you're right. The, that We very rarely deal with Fortune 100, 500-type companies, it's the next tier where it starts, and that's because they just don't run smooth organizations.
0: So if you could give people like and we alluded to this a little bit earlier, like three pieces of advice, how can they avoid coming to someone like you? Yeah. Well, what would you suggest?
2: So I mean we kind of hit on hit on all these things before, but have a contract. If there's any question in your mind about a client, get payment up front or at least have them put the money in escrow. Um, definitely charge, you know, if it's, if it's a monthly thing, charge 50% or more the first month up front. If they balk at that, if they give you the heebie-jeebies in any way, be more suspicious of, of their explanations, Google your client, do your diligence on your client. Just listen to yourself. There's a great Maya Angelou quote. It's when people show, when someone who shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Um, (laughs) And that—that's probably the best piece of advice I could possibly give.
4: And so, if they do get themselves into this position, um, where can they find out more about you and what you're doing? Uh, how do they come and and find you?
2: So we're at freelancecollection.com. We're on all the socials. We're freelance collection, except Twitter. We're fl underscore collection. There, we put out a guide called the. Um, 20 Types of Non-Paying Clients and Strategies for Getting Paid. Ooh. And if you go to FreelanceCollection.com slash DevChat, you can download that guide for free.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Nice. That's fantastic. I had a whole st- horror story years and years ago. I won't get into like all the weeds with it because, well, it was quite a horror story. But at that time, I had like a business manager working for me, helping me out with stuff. And she said, oh, I'll, I'll get us paid. I'll just go show up at their office and sit in the waiting room every day. <laughs> and it was remarkably effective at like getting like, we didn't get paid. Like that was another part of the story. But this got their attention really, really fast. Um, But obviously, you you can't always get away with that. And not everyone has the time or the staff to do that either. But wow, we got on their radar like within two days.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. We've had a number of clients who've told us they've done that in previous cases, and then just didn't want to do it in the future. But I think it's so cool when people do that. I, I talked to one guy who got on a plane to like Toronto from Los Angeles to get their clients to pay him <laughs> and did the sit-in that, that, that,
1: your, <laughs> that your person did. Um, wow. And, and he did get paid. That's fantastic. I don't know if you're like me, but when I have a new idea, I probably spend an hour looking for a domain that communicates the right thing to the right people so that they know what I'm about. And that's why... I've picked up as a sponsor the .tech domains, and you should definitely check them out. There's never been a domain that's helped represent the tech community so well. Getting a domain that's relevant to your brand, that helps encapsulate the ethos of what you're doing is just, it's hard. And the .coms a lot of times are taken up. And so having a .tech is really, really awesome. Now, I have actually picked up devchat.tech. We have a lot of SEO behind devchat.tv, so it probably won't switch. But I wanted that out there so that people can pick it up and know that DevChat is about tech. And and I just, I love the idea. So using a .tech domain was an awesome solution for us. It's short, it's relevant to what we do. It just sticks in people's head. It's a natural fit for anything technology, so... If you're a programmer, if you're working on a tech startup or an open source library or things like that, it's definitely a great way to go. In fact, a lot of other companies have actually been moving over to .tech. So CES, which is a conference that I go to every year and uh, go check out all the new technology, they switched over to CES.tech from CESweb.org. Viacom has Viacom.tech to host their tech division. Intel chose Insight.tech for their latest initiative. Startups on a tech domain have raised more than a billion dollars on a .tech domain. So if you want your own .tech domain, go to go.tech slash freelancer and use the coupon code freelancer.tech and get a one-year tech domain at nine ninety nine and a five-year .tech domain at forty nine ninety nine. Now, if you use this coupon code to get a .tech domain, tweet at me at CMAXW and let me know what .tech domain you got so that I can shout it out on Twitter. Uh, I'd really love to see what you're doing with this. And I think it's just a great product. So go check it out at go.tech slash freelancer and get this deal today.
0: Any more questions? Any more comments? Anyone have before we head off into picks? All right. So, uh, Jeremy, what you got for us this week?
3: Uh, yeah. So, I'm going to mention one that I've mentioned before: uh, "How to Fight a Hydra" by Josh Kaufman. Uh, it's a really short little read. Uh, once you actually sit, once I actually sat down and read it in earnest, it maybe took 30 minutes, 40 minutes, uh, and it basically is a parable about fighting a hydra. Um, And the preparation required to do that uh, as a metaphor for entrepreneurship and pointing out that even the biggest projects that you want to tackle are tackleable if you break them down and figure out what you need to do and figure out what preparation needs to go in in advance to make it possible to take down that project when you get to it. Uh, It's really short read just kind of a inspiring metaphor for business. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. I recommend it a lot. Uh, and that's all I got this week. Excellent, Eric, what about you? Uh,
4: so first up, um, if you've never been to it, uh, there's this site dev.to, short and sweet. And I hadn't done much with it before, but I went on there and syndicated an old post for my blog just to kind of see what the community was about. And from what I can tell so far, it's a, kind of like very supportive uh, software development community where, you know, I got like a lot of nice likes and feedback on this one post, some followers. And there's a lot of like good kind of uplifting discussion in some ways. If you, you know, if you're on some site, that's like Reddit where you get the good and the bad and it can get pretty nasty at times. (laughs) This is kind of the opposite of that. I think they have some pretty strong community guidelines around not being negative and whatnot. So, you know, it might be a good place to go put some content. I've enjoyed it in the little bit. I've interacted with it. Um, and so then the other thing is I'll, uh, I've been picking this a few different times, but I will include a link. If you are interested in a side hustle, writing technical blog posts for pay, uh, you can work with, uh, with me at uh, my agency, which is hit subscribe. So I'll include a link to that as well.
0: Excellent. Uh, Steve, what sorts of picks, uh, did you bring with you? So
2: you may have mentioned some of these in the past, but on the subject we've been talking about of how you can prevent this issue hello bonsai and and.co are both good uh, platforms to use that have contracts already written that you can that you can uh, uh use their contract um of course you still need to write out the scope of what you're doing but those are both great resources by the way i'm not getting paid for you know i don't have referral relationships with any of these companies i just i just think they make good good products that you can use the other is if you already have a contract that you want reviewed, LawGood. It's LawGood.io is an AI-based legal review platform that'll review your contracts and tell you where they're weak and where they're strong and and suggest
0: improvements. Um, so I really love that one. Wow, that sounds really cool. Even if I don't need it, like just sort of run through previous contracts and uh, see what it has to say about them. Yeah, totally. That's really, really cool. interesting. Yeah, it's worth looking at. Wow. So I've got one pick this week. Uh, So I started, I'm sure you've all heard of uh, the podcast radio show, This American Life. I hadn't listened to it in a while. So I fired it up uh, earlier. I guess it was a few days ago. And they had an ad for this other podcast and called Mission to Zix. And I was like, oh, this other one sounds interesting. I never got back to the original This American Life episode. This is, it is an improv comedy group Doing a science fiction story where they basically improv for like ninety minutes, an hour and a half at a time, and then they cut it out so it's like the best half hour. And it's this ridiculously hysterically funny story. um and they ne- they just started season three. I am like, I don't know, binge listening for lack of a better term, their first two um seasons. It's one of those things where, like, people who see me on the street as I'm listening to it must think that I'm completely crazy because I'm just laughing out loud so hard as I'm like listening to my earphones. So, I definitely, definitely recommend it. Mission to Zix, that is, of course, spelled it's Mission to Zix, Z Y X X dot space. Um, <laughs> and, and as if the show weren't good enough, they also have ads. And the ads are part of the story in all sorts of weird, funny ways. So um, don't, don't, not that you really have an easy way to do it, but don't like forward through the ads because they're super worthwhile too. All right. Well, Steve, this was great and enlightening and interesting. So thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And um, if people want to reach you, um, what's, what's the best way to do that? I guess you mentioned the, the URL before, but. What are good ways to do that?
2: Yeah, so the best way is go to freelancecollection.com. There's a form you can fill out. We'll get back to you. You get a free consultation about your about your issue, whether we're able to help you or not. We are also happy to give free advice, and we just want to see people get paid. There's sadly enough business to go around, so freelancecollection.com. <laughs>
0: And, and I assume that your clients do pay you. You yeah, don't get we, stiff so often. We <laughs> take
2: we take a cut. So we encourage everybody to think of us as the very last resort. Um, you know, go through those other steps we talked about before you come to us. But if you want to give it to a professional to deal with, we think we're the best solution out there. Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: Thanks again. Thanks to our panel. And thanks to you for listening. And we'll be back next
1: week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.